Good afternoon, evening to all of you. Good evening. Be turning to the book of Jeremiah. And more specifically, you can be turning to the 36th chapter of the book of Jeremiah because I don't believe we'll be anywhere else other than that this evening. Now, everything will be on the screen up here, so hopefully that will uh, help you with anything that, uh, that we have to see or read. But um, that's where we will be at here in just a moment. <clears throat> have you ever heard or said, out of sight, out of mind? What does out of sight, out of mind mean? Yeah, if I don't see it, don't have to think much about it. Yep. That's exactly right. That's the same reason she puts it in the basement, out of sight, out of mind, too. So we've probably all heard that or said that at some point. Truthfully, uh, a lot of times we kind of want to put bad news out of sight, out of mind. You know, here's something that's good or exciting, and, you know, we probably want to tell everybody else. Did you hear blah, blah, blah? But when we hear something bad, you know, or if there's something bad that maybe is going to affect us, a lot of times we like to, I don't, I don't really want to concern myself with this. Maybe we're thinking, well, if I can sort of toss it away or move it aside, I don't have to worry about it. If I don't have to worry about it, it can't or it won't affect me. Now, you can fill your own blanks in as to what those situations might be because it would affect different people in different ways. But what we're going to talk about tonight from the book of Jeremiah is hearing something that you don't necessarily care to hear and seeing if you can get rid of it in the process. The book of Jeremiah is the 24th book in the Bible, 24th book in the Old Testament, uh, if you're putting at, uh, the Old Testament first. Uh, and it's written somewhere in the 500 B.C. time period. As we said, it's the 24th out of 39. We are uh, steadily progressing down the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah last week and Jeremiah this week are both really large uh, books. Um, the difference, though, is uh, in the two books is that they're both prophetic, but uh, the book of Isaiah sort of walks through uh, a story, and Jeremiah is a little bit different in its, uh, in its nature, its setup. A couple of things, uh, we'll see this next week as well, but Jeremiah was known as the lamenting prophet. Sometimes you hear him referred to as the weeping prophet. Uh, to lament is to be saddened or uh, upset about something. Uh, but because God was so mad at the time that he prophesied, and true prophetic news from God was rarely good. And uh, so, however, the prophet also offers some of the most beautiful words of hope in the Bible. Now, as you can see here, there's no stories in Jeremiah, but rather it's only uh, prophecy. So there's not some running tale that goes through, we did this, and then we did this, and it's not really the way that it works. So it's a little different than, uh, than the story of Isaiah. 
Uh, most famous verses, I am guessing most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with that one. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, which I says, I, for I know the plans that I have for you. And you may have that hanging in your house or uh, on a magnet on the fridge or something like that. But this is the story of Jeremiah, and or the book of Jeremiah, and that's what we're going to look at uh, here this evening. And I want to start with just a little bit of info before we get into the bulk of what it is. Because as we see here, pr- true prophetic news from God at this time was rarely good, and there's a reason why. We talked about last week setting being important. We talked about how that the area that they lived in was between Assyria and Egypt. And both sides, in a sense, were in a tug of war for control of the air. And so Isaiah's prophecies, in many ways, reflected a people concerned and worried at the time that they were living in. Jeremiah's prophecies are at a time under a pretty bad king. All right? We're going to call this tonight the burning scroll. And Dad kind of hit that whenever he was... <clears throat> reading there just a minute, and we'll get to it uh, here as we go. But to start with, well, if our battery is on, it's a little, it, I don't know. No, it, it, it's good. We're, we're fine. Um, but a little bit here to start with. First of all, the one thing, one thing I like about some of these Old Testament things is they make references to kings who had coins uh, that were vented while they were in charge. And so you can always find one of these pictures that maybe roughly looks like the person, uh, as it were. I, I don't know that their appearance really matters, but it makes it easy to find uh, some pictures. But this is King Jehoiakim, all right? Uh, it's a word that's kind of hard, a name that's somewhat hard to pronounce. In fact, it wasn't even his name. We'll see that in a second. Uh, sometimes the word, you occasionally hear people named Jehoiakim uh, today, but uh, this was a uh, this was name that was given. He was actually born as a man by the name of Eliakim. I think I would hopefully be pronouncing that close to being right. And much like any other king in then, or any king even today, he was the son of a king as well. His father's name, Josiah, had ruled from 641 to 609 BC. And then Jehoiakim rules for about 11 years to follow that. Okay? So... Just a little bit of info there. Now, he was king, but he was appointed king. We've talked a lot about how this area in and around Israel was drawn or or stretched by a lot of other places. He had been appointed king by the Egyptian pharaoh, which tells you who was really in charge. You can be king, but if you're appointed king, you're really answering to the person who is king. The Pharaoh had appointed him. You can actually read that in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And when the Pharaoh appointed him, he changed his name to King Jehoiakim. That means the Lord raises up. But the reason the Pharaoh changed his name was to demonstrate his authority over him. You don't get to go by your name. You get to go by the name that I give you. So you're, all, you're here, you're king, but we'll use that term sort of loosely. During his reign, the Pharaoh asked for or extracted, maybe the bite or exacted, I'm sorry, a heavy tax from the people there in and around Israel. You can read that in Second Chronicles 36 as well. And this was a burden on the king who immediately shifts the burden to the people. And so the tax rate was really high for those people. 
So if last week they were living in a time of sort of conflict and potential fear, now you're in a time of sort of oppression, meaning that we have to pay a whole lot of money in taxes. And the taxes were going to Egypt, which kind of is even tougher. I'm putting all of my money that they take over to there. So when we talk about Jeremiah being sort of this weeping prophet, part of the reason is he's in a time where things just seem to not be very good. Now, Jehoiakim is an arrogant and wicked king. We'll see that here this evening. And a couple of acts that you can see right there. First of all, he had one of the prophets of God, a man by the name of Uriah, executed. You can see that in Jeremiah chapter 26, verses uh, 20 through 20 to 23. And then what we're going to look at tonight, which is the cutting and burning of a scroll of Jeremiah's prophecies. And that's what we're going to focus on here this evening. Now, I want you to think or keep this thought in your head as we go through it. Even though the king had the ability to burn the word of God, he didn't have the ability to destroy the power of the word of God. And I want us to keep that in mind as we go. Now, I have a handful of readings, and if you could see my color coding, there's red and blue and purple. They are described in three ways tonight. Hard, long, easy. All right? So you should hope that you land the easy read tonight instead of the hard one or the long one. This is one thing that I found. Remember a few weeks ago when we said it would have been a lot easier if all the Old Testament characters had easier names to pronounce? Well, none of them do tonight. So, uh, you know, if you can pronounce Jeremiah, you're off to a good start, but it's all downhill on names after that. All right. So, (laughs) you just want to come up here and stand, you know. We'll just have you read. But in, we are in Jeremiah. Uh, chapter 36, and we're going to be going from verses 1 through 32. All right, Mom, I'm going to have you start. Can you read what's on the screen here? This is Jeremiah 36, verses 1, 2, and 3. So Jeremiah hears, you know, this this voice, and Jeremiah is told, it says, take out a scroll or a book, and I got us a picture there uh, of what I'm assuming it would have looked like. But who is talking to Jeremiah here? This is from God. And he says, take out a book, and I want you to write on it all the words that I have spoken to you. Well, that's kind of how prophecy works. But if we go a little further, all the words, all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations. The word against means what? Not forward, right? Not for So if I saw that two teams were playing against each other, here's the one, here's the other. This is God saying, I'm going to give you some words against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations. 
Now, when he says against Judah, that's, or excuse me, against Israel, who's he giving words against? Who was Israel to God? The Hebrew church. They were the chosen people. So this is an example of us. We can look at this and say God was prepared to speak some negative things about his chosen people. Not everything that they were doing was great. Now, and he says, from the day I spoke to you up until this day. But there's a reason for it in verse 3. What is the plan here? What is the reason God is telling Jeremiah to sort of put this information out there? Maybe the house of Judah will hear all the adversities Longer said evil, which I propose to bring upon them. So God is, in a sense, is going to tell them, here are some bad things that are about to happen. But hopefully they'll make a few changes, make a few uh, adjustments, and things might go a little bit better. All right? So that's the first three verses right there. And he says that I might forgive their iniquity and their sin. So he says, these people have made mistakes. They have sinned. They have done wrong. But if they'll change, what? Does that sound familiar? That's the thread that runs through the entirety of the Bible, right? People constantly do wrong things. And God is constantly wanting to do what? Forgive. But what do the people have to do? have to be some correction on their part. There has to be some improvement. They have to fix their end of the deal beforehand. All right, so let's go a little bit further then. What is he going to write? Jill, I want you to do these, but it's going to be two things, and I will switch the page after the first one, all right? This is... <laughs> you don't have to do them both. You can handle it. What's that mean? All right, first of all, this is from Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 4 through 8. Okay, four through eight. And this name is Baruch. All right? Baruch? Yes. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Nehrah. Uh-huh. And Baruch wrote on a scroll in the book, at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the Lord were spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined, I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go therefore and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction the words of the Lord. In the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting, and you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and the fury of the Lord has pronounced against his people. And Baruch and the son of Nehrah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book. The words of the Lord in the Lord's house. All right, I'll, you don't have to do that. I'll, somebody else can do the next one. All right, so you're perfect. But I appreciate that. So let's look at this here to start with. Jeremiah, who's the, the prophet here, he calls in this man Baruch, the son of Uriah, and Baruch writes it down on a scroll. So Jeremiah is sort of funneling the information to him. This is not really uncommon historically for somebody to be the writer and somebody to be the talker and explain it to them. And so Jeremiah tells all this, but it says here, all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. So Jeremiah is really just the conduit that's getting the information there to the people. And he says to Baruch, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. When he says house of the Lord there, what is he talking about? Church. Well, it wouldn't be church. That's not a term that existed at the time. 
The temple is what it is. That the Jewish version of a church would be a temple. And he tells Baruch, he says, you go. And he said, read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction. The words of the Lord in the hearing of the people of the Lord's house. So he sends them in. He sends Baruch in. He says, you are, I need you to read this and I need the people to hear this. It says it's on a day of fasting. There's a reason for that. It's going to be a lot of people there. You, know, you, you, want to go, you want the most people to hear it. If there's only two people here tonight, you're not going to hear a whole lot. But if there's a lot of people, you can spread that information to a whole lot of people. And he says, you shall read it to them in the hearing of all Judah who came from their cities. I want all the people to hear this. Now, let's go a little bit further. Verses 9 and 10. Jill, this is much easier. Now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem, and to all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. Then the root read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Omar. <laughs> Shaphan, the scribe of the upper court, at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the hearing of all the people. So this is just kind of go. The first few verses that Jill read, there was the plan, and this is them sort of executing that plan right there. So he goes and he reads to all of these people. On the fast day, he reads it in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe. In the upper court at the at the new gate, he's reading it there so everybody can hear. So the point of this is is whatever information is being presented, everybody's going to hear it and going to know. So there's no I didn't hear that, and there's also no that's all I heard. There's no confusion or anything like that. They're all getting the info from what's taking place. All right. Now I'll ask you if you have any questions, but I'm guessing there probably won't be any questions yet. Okay. Boo, this one's yours. Verses 11 through 13. <laughs> okay. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord, then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber. And lo, all the princes sat there, even Elishama, the scribe, and Delilah, the son of Shemaiah, and Elmathon, the son of Hophor, and Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, all right so a lot of names that i didn't know if we could all stagger through or not so that thank you for that but here's the point of what we're seeing here this guy micaiah hears what happens or here's the presentation as it were he goes down to the king's house and all of these people are there the names are not important but if they're sitting in the king's house, what does that probably tell you about them? They are important. The names may not matter to us, but there's somebody that the king has sitting there with them. I don't know if they're advisors, if they're family, but there's somebody that has a close connection to the king. And not only that, and all the princes as well. So this is the upper crust as it were. If, even though the king was appointed to his position, the people there that are advising him are important people as well. Now, we already established a minute ago that what was being presented might not necessarily be the most palatable or the most appealing information for the king to hear. So 
So when Micaiah goes and tells all of them what he heard when Baruch read the book, how do you think these people are going to react? This is just you guessing. They're probably not going to be very happy. Not very happy. Okay. No, but the kings and like the boss. You know, the boss don't ever want your bad news. Right. You don't go to the boss and tell him we got bad news, troubles coming. But the king certainly don't want to hear that. Okay. So if the if these people hear bad news, they probably could be presented with the question, do we tell this to the king? Now you guess. It's not, you don't know the answer. You guess. If you're an advisor to the king and you hear potentially bad news, do you tell the king that information? Well, the bad news messenger could be killed. Yeah, the bad news messenger, keep that in mind when you're making a decision. Okay, so you're in a tough spot here, right? What's the right answer? All right, yes, that's exactly. This sounds like somebody who was in charge or something like that. I'm prepared to hear it if you tell me how we're going to fix it. Tony needs to play our our king role every time here, and it's like just let her be part of the play uh, right up here. So all of this information is presented. And you can imagine that the people are thinking, he's probably not going to like this. All right? Let's go just a little bit further then. Verses 14 and 15. Dad, can you do this one? Therefore all the princes sent Jehovah, the son of Nathanai, the son of the son of Cushai, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, took the scroll in his hand they said to him, sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. So remember now, Baruch, who is, I guess this, I don't know if this is a real picture or uh, sketching, but Baruch was the person who wrote down what Jeremiah said. So their decision appears to be, let's just take the guy who brought the bad news and let him present it. That way, if the king wants to kill somebody, who's he going to kill? The he'll, he'll kill the messenger. And it won't be the princes or anybody like that. And so they said, take your scroll and come with us. And they said, sit down now and read it in our hearing. Now, at what point do you think Baruch probably thought, uh-oh. <laughs> at what point might Baruch have thought, been pretty nice if Jeremiah had actually written this <laughs> instead of telling me to write it. If you're Baruch in this situation, you're in kind of a tricky spot right here. But I like verse 15. It said, Baruch did what? He said, I didn't read it. And who knows what's going to happen to him? I don't know what the punishment or the glory. I don't know who knows what's going to happen. They may think about killing him. Anything could happen. But he sat down and read it. Out of sight, out of mind, or I don't want to hear good news, helps us sort of get through our daily life. But it's still there. And Baruch's responsibility here was to read what had been told. Because who told Baruch? Jeremiah. And who told Jeremiah? So Baruch, this is not Baruch saying, Baruch says, Baruch, this is him, the Lord is saying. So if you don't like this, you may kill me, but you're not mad at me. You're mad at God about this. And that's a really big difference. All right, let's go a little bit further then. Verses 16 through 19. Now, Leland, do you care to read those, sir? Now 
we will surely tell the king of, of all these words. And they asked the root, saying, Tell us now, how did you write all these words at his instruction? So Baruch answered him, He proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then the princess said to Baruch, Go and hide you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So the story takes a little bit of a turn right here. I don't know that you anticipated exactly what we read right here is taking place. But when Baruch reads it, the people that they were reading to hear it, and he's like, uh-oh, we're going to tell the king all of these words. But at no point does it say what they've read yet, right? It just simply says, we will tell the king. But they asked him, said, all right, before we, you got to tell us, where did you hear this from? And Baruch says what? He said, and he told me what, he being Jeremiah, told me what to write and I wrote it. And Jeremiah was told by who? God. So we're still following that sort of chain of command. He said, he proclaimed it with the mouth and I wrote it with ink in this book. This is, in a sense, the word of God is what he's saying. Now, the princess said to Baruch, what do they need to do? He said, you and Jeremiah need to go and hide and let no one know where you are. What are they anticipating? They're going to kill him. And, and Jeremiah said, they're, 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 so they said, you need to go and hide. So whatever this news is here that they're about to present, this prophecy, this sort of negative prophecy that we read about in verses 1, 2, and 3, how they are doing wrong and they need to fix it, that's probably not going to sit well with the king. Now, let's go back just a bit. How brave might you have to be to go tell the king that he's doing wrong? Brave. Mom said really brave or crazy. You'd have to be, right? Because most people are going to tell the king what? You're the best. You are the greatest. I have never heard a better plan than the one you just put forth. Right? Why do you tell the king that? Sounds good sign. You're exactly right. Because all of those El Nathans and Shahimais and Choctaws, they don't have to be there either. He can get rid of all of them in the process. So they're saying, well, we've got to tell him. We're going to tell him. But you probably need to go hide there in the process. Well, David, we've already learned, too, that he was an evil king. Yes. So let's, yes. Yes. He's not a good king. Right. Right. So I, I think that's a really good point. I think it's something for us to kind of think about. We know when we've done wrong. I, I think we all know when we, it doesn't matter if it's big or little, we all know when we've done wrong. And sometimes you just hope nobody says anything to you about it. I mean, I'm thinking about it at work. There's times when I forgot to turn something in or I, I just, I didn't do something or whatever. I hope nobody says anything about it. And the minute they show up, you know what they're going to say, Right. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Well, this is much bigger than that. But he's not a good guy. And so it would make sense that a prophecy of God is probably not going to spin him in too positive of a circle for what was about to happen. All right? So let's go a little bit further. There's two different verses. This is 20, uh, 36 20, and this is 36 21. Uh, Tony, do you care to do, uh, just do both of them? So the king sent Jehudah to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elisha. 
describes Shammah. And Jehuda read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside him. Now, I, you might say, well, why don't you just put these two together? But I think they're important that they be split apart right there. Because when they go in to tell the king, what do they do with the scroll on the way in to talk to the king? They hid it. I, I, I don't know if hid is the right word. It probably is. They stored it. They put it you know, on the shelf or whatever you'd say on the way in. Why do you think they didn't necessarily go in with the scroll? Out of sight, out of mind. Well, we've heard. There's a big difference in I've heard and I've got right here. Okay? And so maybe the king responds in a different way. So they hide the scroll, or at least put the scroll aside, and they go in and tell the words in the hearing of the king. So they tell the king what's happened, and the king then says what? Go get the scroll. Why do you think the king wants to read it himself? I, I'm sorry. He may want to destroy it or jump ahead and get it exactly right. Right? You're exactly right. But why does the king say, "Bring that in your evidence. It's evidence. This is proof. These guys might be lying to me, or they might not be telling me everything. You know, there, there, any number of things. So he says, "Go in." And bring that. So they go back to it again. And the guy in Judah reads it in the hearing of the king. So now they told it to the king, but now they've opened it flat up and they said, here's what it says. Which version do you think sounded worse to the king? I have no idea what they said the first time, but you got to feel like they said it in a way that kind of Soft, you know, smooth it up. I'm not saying that they did or not, but I just know how you would present that. I know I've told you all this before, but how Jess and I would ask for things from mom and dad. You smoothed it over before you went in. You didn't just, didn't just yell out right then, because the answer was almost always going to be no, but if you were smooth, it might accidentally be a man. Alright? We'll see. <laughs> so, whenever they go in, the first time they say it, then he says, go get it. And they stood beside the king reading it. So that he knows what Jeremiah, excuse me, he knows what Baruch has read, what Jeremiah has, written, has said, and what God has told Jeremiah. So there's no excuse here of not knowing what it was. The information is in front of the king, the bad king, the evil king. The prophecy of bad things to come is now in front of the king. 22 and 23. Mary, can you read these two, please? So the king's setting in the winter house. So it tells us, you know, what, what's, the, what's the weather probably here? A little cooler. He's sitting in the winter house. It's the ninth month. And he's got a fire burning in the heart before. And it says, when Jehudah and I read three or four columns. I like that. I don't know why, but that caught me off guard when I read it. Three or four, which means what? He'd read part of it. He was, he was through. He was getting through. But he wasn't that. It didn't say when he went through all the reading. He's about halfway done. And the king says what? I'm done with this. Cuts it in half, 
All this is is just prophecy. It's just somebody saying something. I'm just going to cut this in half. It doesn't exist anymore. Then he does what with it? Now you can get it right. <laughs> he destroys it, right? He throws it in the fire. Because what's going to happen to the scroll when you throw it in the fire? It's going to burn up. You'll never see it again. And people are going to say, wait a minute, wasn't there something written about something bad about to happen? What can the king say? I don't know. I saw it. They brought something here. We did the trash. It wasn't worth nothing. It was consumed in the hearth. If you put something in a fire and it burns completely away, what's left of it? Nothing. I'm sure there are people in here that have experienced house fires at some point in your life. Or maybe know people who have. And if you remember them, I can't relate to it, but if you remember them, there are probably things right after that house fire happened that you thought, I had one of those and now I don't. A pair of pants or a shirt, a book, a toy, something that I had and I don't have it anymore. It's gone. Now you might be able to get a replacement or something, but it's gone. So the king looks at this scroll in the same way. It's in the fire. It's burned up. I don't have to worry about this anymore. Now, if you are looking in your Bible at verse thirty or at chapter 36, you will notice that the story does not end in verse 23. In fact, there's about 12 more verses to look at. Let's go to the next one. I'll read this one for you. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king, nor any of his servants who heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he wouldn't listen to him. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, Sarah, the son of Azrael, and uh, Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. I like this here. They weren't really afraid. They didn't tear their garments when this happened, but they pretty much begged the king, don't throw this away. Why do you think these men said, don't, don't burn this scroll? They may have been convinced that this was a real thing. And if we burn this, we are first of all doing what we are being fussed at in the prophecy. For being wicked and evil and for not doing what we're supposed to do. And then if something bad happens, and people find out the king knew about it and didn't try to fix it, who are the people maybe going to be mad at? But the king says, no. And the book, regardless of the words, uh-huh. it's like the Bible. The Bible doesn't hurt anybody. There's people that don't want to believe the Bible. Sure. Burning it doesn't do any good. It, it, you, know, you, can't, you can't get rid of the Bible. It doesn't do any good. You may think it does, but it doesn't do any good. Burning Mark Twain books, that doesn't sure. do any good. Sure. You can do it, but what it will accomplish? Sure. It's still that. Absolutely. So the king says to go get Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but what happened? The Lord, they had already been sort of in hiding, and the Lord hides them even further. we got a couple more to finish up. Now, this is fairly long. Connie, I wanted you to read this, but you will probably need your Bible uh, to read this in case it's a little hard to see. This is verses 27 through 30, uh, 27 through 31.
Probably shouldn't have burned it. Feels like the part that Connie read there, a little bit more intense than what we had seen in verses 1, 2, and 3. If you go back to verse 3, it may be that the house of, or excuse me, in verse 2, uh, he said, take a scroll and write all the words that I've spoken against Israel and Judah and the other nations. He didn't really say much. He just said, they've been bad. I want you to write this out. And hopefully they'll make a change. The second version of the scroll, a little more specific. After the king had burned the scroll, the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, What? We're going to do it again. But write all the words that were in the first scroll, which they burned, and you're going to add a little bit more to it. He says, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll saying, why have you written in it? And this is where we find out what was written, that the king of Babylon was going to come in and destroy this land. Remember, we're in a conflicted area right there. The king doesn't want to hear. Now we see what the scroll said. The scroll says, you're going to be destroyed by the king of Babylon. I'm not hearing that. He says, why have you destroyed it? He says, therefore, the Lord concerning the king of Judah says, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David. He's on the throne of David. He is the lineage, the line from King David down to him. And he says, there won't be nobody left for him to sit on that throne. And his dead body shall be what? That's not the way you bury a king. How do you bury a king? I don't really know, but Queen Elizabeth is really aged. And I'm guessing that when she dies, there will be some kind of fancy ceremony for that. I highly doubt that when Queen Elizabeth dies, they're going to cast her body out in the heat of the day and the frost of the night. That's the kind of thing they're going to do to somebody who either A, they don't care about, or B, they're really upset that that person did not do what they were supposed to do. Because now the people are going to look at this and say, wait, so this means Babylon is coming. This means we're going to be defeated. We're going to be overthrown. We're going to be destroyed. He says, I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity or their sin. And I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's the people of Israel that we just talked about at the very beginning, on all the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But what? But they didn't heed. Hmm. It's almost as if Stories in the Old Testament connect to stories in the New Testament. Jesus says timeless, or quite often in the Bible, that people are supposed to do what? Listen to what he says. What the apostles were constantly saying. You need to heed what his teaching is. 
you want. But do people do it? A lot of times they don't. So make another scroll. Last verse. Lucille, you get the last one, all right? Chapter 36, verse 32. You got this. All right, so just like we did in the first part, they told what's going to happen, and then they do happen. Uh, newfound respect for Baruch here. Man, wrote a whole lot. I think he's all almost tired when this is all said and done. But he went through a whole lot of potential downfalls uh, right there. He was in a dangerous position. But I think when we look at what happened here, Jeremiah said what he had been told by God. Baruch wrote down effectively what had been told by God right there. And even though the king burned it, they wrote down even still. And I am guessing that when this second version came out, we could probably run this lap again. Do you think the king would be real excited to hear the second version? Probably not. All right. What's it all mean? Well, we don't use scrolls, but the scrolls of God can't be silenced. If you look up here, one can't destroy God's word by destroying the paper that it's on. You have a Bible in your hand. I can set this on fire. In fact, I can set all of these on fire in this room. But it's not going to destroy God's word. I just don't have a Bible anymore. But other people will. And there are countless versions of it. So burning the book is not necessarily going to fix what you're worried about. It's not going to fix what had been written. Becoming angry doesn't alter God's word. Sometimes we read the Bible and we get worked up about it. We didn't write it. The preacher didn't write it. This is God's word. And we can get mad and upset about it, but is it going to change it? I am mad about this. Some of you all are close to 90 years old. The Bible has been the same the whole time you were there. And some of the and, and the Bible's been the same from even before that. Third, refusing to accept it doesn't alter it. Sometimes I say, well, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to hear that out of sight, out of mind, right? So I don't need to worry about it. That, that'll it'll change. If I if I don't look, it won't ha- it, it doesn't happen. It's not the way it works. But instead, advice that King Jehoiakim should have took to start with, accept God's word for what it says and what it is. Jehoiakim should have read this and said, I've made some mistakes. I need to fix this. I don't know if this will fix everything, but it can be a step in the right direction. That's all Christianity and the Bible is, right? We say, we're talking about repentance and turning around and change, making a change. All it is. It's not saying that you're going to be perfect. Can't be that. But all it is saying is that you can look at the writing on the wall, to steal something from Daniel maybe in a couple weeks. You can look at the writing on the wall and realize, oh, I need to fix that and come back this way. The only verse that we're using tonight that didn't come from Jeremiah, James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law, but then stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. See, there were probably a lot of things that were written that might not have bothered 
Jehoiakim any. But there was one thing written that he didn't really care for. He tossed the whole thing in instead of trying to change it. So hopefully our lesson for tonight is what we see right here. Don't get worked up. Don't get angry. Don't get frustrated with it. But just accept it and work yourself there with it. Be a lot better off than what inevitably happened to Joe. Brent tells the story of the one lady that cut the book of James out of her body and laid her man. They cut that part out. They cut the whole book of James mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't like what it had to say. That right. doesn't eliminate it from the Bible. No. Just what kind of Jefferson did say? He didn't say that. He cut out passages. Yeah. He didn't lie. Uh-huh. He said life was dedicated to try to get people to turn from evil. And when they wouldn't do it, then God gives him all this stuff and never got married. And scholars think the reason they did he didn't get married, God wanted him so so focused on presenting his work. I think that's really important. He, 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 to me, he would have had a, a, a bad life. But no, sure. I think I think you are. That's that's exactly right. I would agree with that a hundred percent. Any other thoughts or questions or anything on what we've got tonight? All right. Well, Jeremiah had a whole lot of.